in heaven other than the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, he lifted his name above all names, and by him and through him all things consist. He created all things for his will, his glory. And praise the Lord, he saved us for the same. Amen? You know, if you don't have, I'll say this, if you don't have Jesus Christ, you don't have anything. Amen? I know that may sound a little bit negative coming out of the box here tonight. I'm not trying to be, but I'm just going to state a little bit of a fact that, uh, if you don't have the Lord, you have to question as to what you do have. Amen? And amen. I want to get into a message tonight, and um, no pun intended here quite yet, although I'll probably intend some later, that I hope stirs you up. I hope that it, well, I hope it stirs you up, man. That's what I hope. Just a bit of an introduction here in, in the book of Acts. If you want to go ahead in your Bibles, if you're coming from your Bibles tonight, verses will be on the screen, but if you're using your app or your Bible this evening, you can go ahead and get to Acts 17. And um, For those of you who know, I taught on the life of Paul uh, initially years back uh, for five years, five years, two months, and eight days, or four months, and eight days. No, five years, five years, four months, eight days, that's what it was. And um, when we moved over here, I, I retaught the lesson, semi-abbreviated semi a little bit or just tightened it down. It took me about a year and a half, uh, but that was two sessions in the morning time on Wednesday. And then we've taught back and forth throughout the, the, the book of Acts. I've taught conferences on the life of Paul and people's church in the States and throughout the area. Uh, it, it's an area that is a dear love for me because Paul's life interprets the New Testament. When you begin to look at Paul's life and how he lived and what he did and what he went through, from conversion really into death, uh, guys, it, is, uh, it, it interprets the New Testament. And throughout the book of Acts, uh, studying out his life in Acts, uh, the commentaries of his life in Acts is found in his epistles. So when you put those together, you can fill in blanks and everything, and you understand what he's going through and, and what happens, say, in Acts chapter 9, verses 20 through 22. We have the transcript of what happened in Galatians chapter 1, you follow? And that's how it's set up, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing uh, to understand the life of the Apostle Paul. And, and the reason being is because Paul is the minister unto the Gentiles. Had there not been a Paul, you and I wouldn't be saved, okay? Had there not been uh, a Saul, whose his name was Saul and his name was Paul, it wasn't changed when he got saved. I know that makes good evangelistic preaching, but it's just not right. The Bible says he was also called Paul and never said his name was changed. And uh, he was a born of free Roman citizens, thus he got a Roman name, which was Paul. Uh, he was from the tribe of Benjamin, so he was named after the first king of Israel, which was Saul. And I've been saying all that to say this. As we get into Paul's uh, second journey, as you know, there was a great rift between him and Barnabas. And Barnabas uh, left at the end of Acts 15 and uh, took John Mark with him and went, to, uh, went to back to Cyprus, his hometown, and, uh, or home, home country. Uh, and, you know, I'm going to say Barnabas was out of, uh, he was out of the will of God. Barnabas made a mistake. Uh, Paul did not. People, some people like to say that Paul was high-minded or that Paul was angry and all this and that. Paul was the man of God. He was the leader. The, rule, the, role, the roles changed in Acts chapter 13 in the first mission journey. It was, became Paul and his company. John Mark left, okay, 
Uh, he, he wanted to work for his uncle, if you will. Paul's a hard taskmaster. And he said, I'm just not going to, you know, Paul's slapping blindness on people. He grew up and, and listened to Jesus say, turn the other cheek. Now Paul's call, calling people the child of the devil and casting blindness on them. And John Mark simply says, man, I didn't sign up for this, you know. And he leaves and goes home to mama. And uh, long story short, get into the second journey. Paul takes Silas with him. They get the blessing on the church, uh, from the church. They lay hands on him. You know, six, chapter 16 rolls around. He goes in Philippi, which is the, the greatest church that we ever find, the church that is, is without rebuke. And the Philippian jailer gets saved. The devil-possessed Dambel gets saved. Uh, Lydia, woman of fire, Tyra, who's a speller of purple, she gets saved. All of their households get saved. Everybody's just getting saved. And then Paul gets ran out of Philippi, okay? That was, that was par for the course. And by the time we get into Acts 17, Paul had come through and Amphipolis and Apollonia and down to the Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica, as we know, we have two letters to, written to that church. Uh, they are his first two letters that he writes. And uh, uh, he had to write, especially the second one, because this group called the Judaizers came through and started misrepresenting what Paul had taught. Actually, they started falsifying letters, okay, uh, as, uh, as from Paul. And so to give you the background of those Jews who did not believe in Thessalonica, uh, they, the Bible tells us that they moved with envy. They believed not and moved with envy and took unto them certain fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company and set all the city in an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and uh, sought to bring out all the people. All of these things are happening. Why? Because Paul comes in preaching the truth of the word of God. So they get Paul out of there now. He gets out of Thessalonica. And, and so just giving you a bit of a, a background, after the rain, after the storm, after the tornado, after all the things that are happening in this, mis this area, there was a bit of sunshine that came in after the rain. That doesn't mean it's going to stay, as we know so well, but there was a bit of sunshine. So in Acts chapter 17, in verses 10 through 14, Paul leaves there, and they that troubled the city, in verse 8, uh, uh, they that troubled the people and the rulers of the city, uh, they heard these things, and so on. In verse 10 is where we'll pick up. And the Bible says, And the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews, and these were more noble than those of Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily whether those things are so, or were so. Therefore, all right, now that therefore is on the backside of, of verse 11, which is vitally important, therefore many of them believed. Also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent Paul to go, as it were, to the sea, but Silas and Timotheus abode there still. God gave Paul a brief moment, a brief opportunity to be renewed in the spirit in Berea. And, and, and Luke makes sure, Luke is, I love Luke's writing. He's very specific. There's times when Luke writes that he wants you to do some digging. He wants you to, to understand what is going on. He wants you to do some research to find out what he's talking about. And, and such is Acts chapter 9, verses 20 through 22. He expects you to go into Paul's epistles and find out what happened between those two verses. And then there's other times he just says, look, I'm going to lay it out for you to where anybody can understand it. He says, man, look, this was a time of rest. Verse 11 tells us that those, those, those of the synagogue, those Jews there, uh, they heard the word, they received it with readiness of mind, and then they went home and they studied the scriptures to see what he was saying was so. You know, guys, that is, that is any preacher worth his weight in salt. 
that's what he wants his people to do. I don't want you taking my word for it. I want you to go home, and I want you to research and study it out yourself. That's why they said they were more noble than those of Thessalonica. See, those Jews of Thessalonica, they heard something that they hadn't heard before because they hadn't been in their scriptures, and they start throwing rocks and picking a, pitching a, a temper tantrum and all this and that that happened. So Paul is renewed in his spirit in Berea. He found a noble group of people willing to listen without arguing, and yet the ones that believe not would travel from city to city, stirring up trouble against Paul. Now, concerning the writings of Paul, and this is what I want you to understand, he quotes the Old Testament several times. In the book of Romans, he quotes the Old, the Old Testament 74 times. In 1 Corinthians, he quotes the Old Testament 29 times. In 2 Corinthians, 20 times. In Galatians, 13 times. In Ephesians, 21 times. In Philippians, 6 times. He's quoting the Old Testament. See, these Bereans had the privilege and the opportunity to search the Scriptures to, as to what Paul was preaching, confirming what he said was true. He's preaching that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the one they crucified on the cross in Jerusalem. That's what he's preaching. They're not going to a New Testament. Guess why? Because there wasn't one. <laughs> They're going back to the Old Testament to confirm that Jesus is the Christ. Those in Thessalonica were troubled. They were stirred up by, this, by the, uh, the same type of religious leaders that we see in our world today. These folks that, who caused so much harm to, to Paul and, and those of his company, they just kept coming and coming and coming, and they began to stir up the people when they had knowledge that the Word of God was preached. So today I want to speak to you about being stirred up, okay? Being stirred up. I mean, we see the Jews of Thessalonica here in Paul's life. Uh, they went and stirred up the Bereans after they had stirred up the believers in their own city. And all of those in Paul's journey, we find that this same religious group is following him, withstanding the preaching of the gospel, stirring up the people, trying to keep them hindered and bound in, into this old ways. But what would happen in our life if we got stirred up? You know, guys, there, there's so often, many, many a times, religion... I'm gonna, let, me, let me make something very clear. Religion is not of God. Religion is of man. All right? That's what it is. Religion has done more harm to the cause of Christ in this world today. Man-made religion, false teaching, false doctrine, things that they've taken the scriptures and twisted it up and said, well, let me tell you what it really means. You don't know what it really means because it means what it says and it says what it means. Amen? The Bible is simple. The Bible is understandable. This is the preserved, purified Word of God that I have right in front of me tonight. I don't need you to tell me what it really means. Amen? It says what it means, and it means what it says. It's that simple tonight. These Jews stirred up the people. They stirred up the Bereans. They stirred up the believers of their own city. And we find that Paul is withstood by these people over and over and over and over, stirring up the people. But what would happen if we, as believers got stirred up. I think we should get stirred up. I think we should. I want you to see what's going to happen. You know, they, they took Paul and they took him into Athens, okay? Verse 14 says, and then immediately the brethren sent away Paul uh, to go as it were by the sea, but Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now, while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit, watch this, was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Get this with me. Timotheus and Silas stay there in Berea. 
They get Paul out of there, all right? They get Paul out of there. They take him all the way to Athens, and these, whoever took, takes him there, they say they placed, I, I, for what it reads like, they stick him on a street corner, <laughs> and they say, we got to go. Timotheus and Silas said for us to get back. Timotheus and Timothy, Timothy, by the way, get back where we were. So they got back, and they left Paul standing there, okay? Now, I don't know what their intentions are. Neither does anyone else other than to get him away from Thessalonica, get him away from those Jews that are trying to kill him, get him into a city where you know, seemingly nothing Christianity was going on, hoping that he was going to remain silent, and yet you stick him in the most idolatrous, vile, wicked city on the face of the planet, and you think he's going to be still? Have you lost your mind, man? He's standing there looking around, and he sees this entire city given over to idolatry, given over to paganism, people bound in this type of wicked worship. Paul was stirred in his heart and he was stirred in his mind because of the idolatrous life the Athenians were given unto. The word to, to be given unto something, guys, or someone means the transfer of authority or rule. The transfer of authority or rule. That's what the, these people of Athens were given uh, over to the control of idol worship. They were under the authority of paganism. The whole city, as it were, guys, was ruled by Satan himself. Verse 17 tells us this. It says, therefore disputed he. Why? Here's another therefore. Why? Because he's stirred in his spirit. Again, I say, what would happen if we would get stirred in our spirit? Amen. Therefore he disputed he in the synagogues with the Jews. He's standing around going, hang on a second. You Jews, you know who the real God is. Now, you have rejected Jesus Christ, but you know who the real God is. you got the same Old Testament that I'm preaching from, and you're just living in comfort and ease and calm and all the, with all these idol worshipers on their way to a devil's hell, and you're doing nothing about it. So the first thing he does, we know it according to Romans chapter 1, he followed suit to the Jew first, also to the Greek, so he followed that authority. And it says, therefore he disputed in the synagogues with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. He wasn't just doing it on Sunday morning or the Sabbath, if you will, on Saturday. He was leaving the synagogue, and he was getting out there in the street. He was getting in the marketplace. Guess what he was doing? He was going where he would normally go in life, telling people about Jesus Christ. There's two groups that you find here, and these devout persons that in, in, in Athens. You have the Epicureans. The Epicureans was a group essentially who believed that there is a, there's no recourse for any action in the world. Their mantra would have been, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. We just die, and the light switch turns off, and that's the way it goes. And my friend, you would be shocked today to find out how many people that you live next to, work with, go to school with, and are friends with that believe the very same thing. Do you know 55% of our 64-plus million people in the population of the United Kingdom are devout atheists? They deny any type of God at all. Those are the light switch goes off people. They may, not, uh, they may not apply to the Epicurean type of uh, religion, if you will, but they don't believe there is a God nor an afterlife. This group of people believe if it felt good, do it. Does that sound familiar? Then there's the Stoics. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you this. The Stoics have some pretty powerful quotes, okay? You've got to be real careful in what... And I'm not launching, I don't know if you've, if anybody here, let me go ahead and say it. I don't know if you've quote, you've posted any kind of uh, stoic quotes, okay? I've always been tempted to, but I've not done it um, just because of their history. <clears throat> but the Stoics are a group of people who believed in listening to their inner voice, okay? Uh, they believed that, that inside of you is a God, and everywhere and everything there's a little bit of God, 
And what that is called is pantheism, okay? Uh, the, the New Age movement we live in today is just a rehatched old thought process of people who are unaware of its old roots and detriments. That's what it is. That's all it is. The, the symbols that even people are wearing today, much less uh, have tattooed on their bodies uh, from the ancient worship of the Stoics. The modern term for the Stoics, believe it or not, is environmentalism, where they believe God is in everything and, and, and is in everything. It's called pantheism, pan meaning everything or all, Theo meaning God. The world uh, does not have a political problem today. We're all looking to the government and the next election here, the next election. We don't have a political problem. We got a God problem. That's what we have. Our world is looking in the wrong place. That's that, we have a, a religious problem in our world today, not a political problem. I want you to imagine with me today as Paul entered this city, uh, you know, when, when, you know, guys, when our country took God away from everything, this old religion of the Stoics, the Stoicism, the pseudo-New Age belief, it resurfaced under different titles, something that really and truly was prophesied by Lenin himself and Stalin. But imagine with me Paul coming into this city just prior to encountering these groups of people. And imagine what he witnessed them bow down to and worship and methodically go through all these different daily activities uh, according to the power that they've yielded themselves under. This city would have Mount Olympus looking over it. A backdrop that people would, would look up and they would, they would see Homer's gods sitting there. Hundreds of years of, of, of seeing these massive uh, stone figures, if you were, a place where mythology became their theology. And it's still at use today, and people are worshiping these gods. And within, within the, the, the city walls, guys, if you will, there was these altars, these places of worship and gift sacrifices. And, and there was the, the idols that were dedicated to energy and happiness and thought and help and passion and crops. And you name it, all these different things. You having a crop problem? Go get a sacrifice to that one. You having a love problem? Go get a sacrifice. I mean, that's what it was built upon. They had 12 main gods. They had Zeus, who is the cloud gatherer. He was renamed by the Romans. By the way, when Rome conquered Greece, all they did was take their same gods and change their names, okay? Mind you, when they converted to, from pagan Rome to papal Rome, they kept their same gods. They just changed their names. I'll let that sit in there for you for a little while. Zeus was the cloud gatherer, again, named Jupiter. He's the father of gods and men. Hades, the god of the underworld, which their brother Neptune, who is also known as Poseidon, the god of the seas and earthquakes and tidal waves and Hera is the queen of the gods, and Dementor, Ceres, is the god of fertility, agriculture, nature, and season. There's Athena, which is, Athens is dedicated unto Athena. She's also known as Minerva. She's the daughter of Zeus, and she's spring full-grown in her armor, and so on and so on. She was the mighty warrior and protector of Athens. Apollo is the son of, of Zeus, the god of light, and, that, and therefore inspiration. There's Artemis. Uh, who Diana, whom and Diana of, of Ephesus was dedicated to, the twin of Apollo. There's Ares, or also known in the Roman world as Mars, the god of war. And he's considered to be the murderous and bloodstained, but, but also a coward. Aphrodite, or also known as Venus, who is the goddess of love and beauty and desire. Hephaestosles, or known as the Vulcan, uh, who is the, the master blacksmith of where I was born, Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, we have a statue of the Vulcan that sat and looked over the city because it sat on top of what's called Iron Mountain. Central Alabama uh, has a mountain that goes through it that has uh, iron ore deposits. Alabama is known as a steel, or Birmingham is known as a steel city, if you will, where the steel uh, factories were and whatnot. There's Hermes, who's later on is 
uh, named Mercury. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 14, uh, the Bible says, and they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. That's who Hermes was. I guess you'll know that by our little travel and delivery people are called Hermes because they are the messengers of the postal service of the Greek gods. There's Vesta, the virgin of the of, of goddess um, of Hereth in each city. And there's Dionysus, also known in the Roman world as Bacchus, which is the god of wine, okay, the god of grapes. I'm saying all that to say this, guys. That's a bit confusing, isn't it? That's a lot of gods for a lot of things. Amen? And they are worshiping all of these gods. The bondage of Satan through the worship of idolatry what he really and truly is at the root of pure and plain ignorance. They just were without knowledge. I want you to see in verse 22 of our text tonight as Paul was stirred in his spirit and what he began to say. It says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. So out of all of these pagan gods that they had, all these little inscriptions, all of these little uh, um, uh, pedestals set up with their little imagery on there and these, these altars, there was one that was dedicated to an unknown God. You know, and Paul says they're, he's, they're ignorantly worshiping. Now the history of the unknown God and how it came about was a great and wonderful famine had occurred in the land. And they sacrificed unto every one of their gods, trying to appease that God to break the famine. And it never would. It never would break. And so all of a sudden, they said, well, there must be an unknown God out there somewhere. We've offended them. So they built an altar, put an inscription on there, inscription on there to the unknown God, and they began to sacrifice to the unknown God. Friend, here's what I want to say, and I want to say this to you in a positive light tonight. They knew there was a God. They knew. See, having God was not their issue. That wasn't their problem. Mankind possesses an innate knowledge of God. It was placed inside of every man, woman, and child by the Lord himself at conception. There is a desire to seek after God, the true and one and only God. The Athenians were what the world would call an enlightened society. And they were thinkers, philosophers, and talkers. And in reality, guys, they were just old-fashioned busybodies, okay? Verse 21 gives us a clarity thought on that. Uh, verse 21 says, For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. That's called the grapevine. They just wanted to, to tell the news, man. So the Parthenon in, in Athens is dedicated to Athena. But then they had a pantheon. And this pantheon, uh, pan, many, theon or theo, God, had all of these different gods in there. And in and all of these different things that they would have. And, and as Paul was left alone in this city, he knew, he knew Athens, uh, he knew their wisdom, he knew and considered their religion, he knew all about it from his studies before. There were more gods, it said there was more gods in Athens than there were people in all the world, they used to say. They said it was easier to find a, an idol in Athens than it was a man. Paul wrote after leaving Athens, and he writes in AD 52, uh, the letter unto the Romans saying, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Athens was the home of Socrates, guys. It is the mother of all earthly wisdom, and the father is Satan. Athens' philosophy is, is, is worship. If wisdom could find God, Athens would have done it. it. The religion of Athens deified human reasoning above everything. 
They had made God out of every human pleasure, passion, perversion, you name it. And it's not much different than our modern world today. Human reasoning gives birth, if you will, to brats teaching children who will eventually make decisions that will affect the world. There has to be some truth taught to young people. Paul's answer to the whole of Athens was to preach the word of God. Paul didn't come up with some slogan. Paul didn't, didn't come up with some campaign. Paul didn't say, I'm going to hang a shingle out. Paul didn't send out. Paul, you know what Paul did? Paul stood, he went to the synagogue, and he preached the word of God, just like he did everywhere else. That's the beauty of Paul's ministry. The words of truth, which will set free anyone held in the bondage of sin. As we pick up in verse 23 and read down to verse 31, the Bible says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that ye are in all things, ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing, he is, seeing that he is Lord of heaven, and earth dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth all life and breath and all things. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for, for to dwell on the face of the earth and had determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord if happily they may feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also, watch this, as certain also, let me say it again, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold, silver, or stone, graven by uh, art and uh, man's devices, device. And the time of this ignorance, God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. Let me tell you something. This is Paul preaching stirred up. Paul's not dancing around the issue. He's not dancing around anything. And then what he does is he's given them biblical truth of who and what God is and the creation of mankind and why they're there and the movement of the Holy Spirit of God. As he's doing all of those things, he reaches back in his multiple uh, degrees that he, ach he achieved under the school of Gamaliel, and he pulls out one of those, your own poets there. Let me take it from the own people that you're following, the people that you're obeying, your own poets, your own authors, your own Athenian writers. I also say and that we are his offspring. He preaches the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He, in verse 27, he preaches the righteousness of Christ. In verse 30, he preaches on temperance through Christ, and he is, has a stern warning of this new covenant. There was a time, guys, there was a time in our world when God winked at the ignorance of men, not the sin, just the lack of knowledge. Can I tell you one of the, the times when God winked? At the ignorance of men. Do you guys remember one of the last sayings, one of the last seven sayings of Jesus Christ on the cross? Do you remember what he said? Father, forgive them. Finish it with me. For they know not what they do. That's ignorance, my friend. Now, if you, do, if you know what you're doing and you're just doing it wrong, I mean, the, the Bible says, for him that knoweth it good and doeth it not, to him is sin. Jesus Christ on that cross said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. 
That's when God winked at the ignorance of man. But after that, God said, Paul says, not now. He's commanding all men everywhere to repent. Beloved, I'm here to tell you that, he, that Paul's preaching on the judgment to come, verse 31. There's always a judgment, a time when he must pay the piper. How is it through? It says, that, uh, that man whom he hath ordained, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was stirred up, my friend. And why? Because Paul was stirred up by the wickedness of the city that was given over wholly to idolatry. Paul was, was stirred when he saw, when he saw with his eyes. Jeremiah tells us, mine eye affecteth mine heart. I mentioned Jeremiah this morning in the morning session. Uh, Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. He looked at the sin that Israel was committing, how they had turned their back on God, how the idolatry and paganism, how lazy and all the things they had become. And he knew the judgment to come that was going to come from God. And it broke his heart and he wept for his own people. Jeremiah was stirred. Paul knew the danger that these souls were in. And in verse 18, the word encountered is used, which means a meeting or contest. A single combat, a fight, a conflict, a skirmish, or a battle. We read in the book of Titus, it says, holding fast the faithful words uh, as he has been taught that he may be, able to be, to by, may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Holding fast faithful words. Paul taught his preacher boys to be able to debate and argue the word of God but to do so under control, because losing control was just a sign of weakness. You know, Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He says, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul was stirred up, but he was stirred up with balance. Those numbskulls, man, that were chasing him around from city to city and were stirring everybody up, they were stirring up riots. They were stirred up mobs. They were stirred up people trying to kill someone, trying to bite ears off and throw rocks at them and shoes. That's what they were doing, not Paul. Paul was stirred in his spirit because his heart was broken as to the devastation that he saw and the bondage that Satan had, had all of these people. You may be sitting here tonight saying, man, why in the world was he so stirred up? Because he saw men, women, and children who were human souls. He wasn't related to any of them. Amen? These are Greeks. As a matter of fact, many of the Greeks made his life horrible. There's probably a load of Romans in there doing the same thing. They didn't, I mean, nobody liked them, you understand. But Paul didn't look at who and what they were. Paul didn't look at how they were dressed. Paul didn't look at the color of their skin. Paul didn't look at the, their pedigree. He didn't look at where they were born or their dialect that they had. Paul looked at the internality of their soul. And he was stirred up. And here's what I say tonight. My soul, man, if this wicked people, the wicked world who come out against us as Christians, if they can get stirred up, why don't we get stirred up? But we get stirred up with control. We get stirred up with the word of God. Paul wasn't preaching his own brand of whatever. But this is what happens when a man or a woman gets stirred up for God. Let's make it crystal clear tonight. What Paul is doing in Athens we are to do every opportune time in our life today. But in order to do so, we need to be stirred up. We need to understand that souls are weighing in the balance. And it is our personal responsibility. Anybody that comes into your circle of influence, they've come into your world for a reason. Paul was left on a street corner. I mean, whoever dropped him off, they were just following orders. But God knew what he was doing. God put... I mean, God put a pit bull in the middle of, of, of kitty cats, man. He knew exactly what he was doing, man. 
American Bulldog, that's what he put in there. One that's not afraid of a balloon. A vicious dog we have. We need to be stirred up, guys. Now, let me say this to you tonight, and we'll get into our three points, and we'll be done this evening, I promise. In order for us to be stirred up, we need to understand that it is, and write this word down or write it into your heart, it is high time for us to stop sitting on the settee, resting and hoping someone else will do it because they're not going to. They haven't done it here in 50 and 60 years like they should have. They haven't done it in America in the last 50 and 60 years like they should have. They haven't done it in the rest of Europe like they should have. Listen, they haven't done it like it should be done like Paul is doing it in Athens, amen, way back when. And it's time for us to do it. High time. I like that word, high time. Biblically, high time is, de is defined as a certain definitive time or season fixed by natural law. It's derived from a Greek word, hera, or hora, and it occurs 108 times in the King James Bible. It's translated 89 times into the word hour, 11 times into time, three times into season. But the precise definition of it is any definitive time, point of time, or moment. Such as we read the words of the Lord Jesus Christ who said, Behold, the hour is at hand. Who said in Luke 14, verse 17, and sent his servant at the supper time to say to them that were bidden, come, for all things are now ready. Do you know the only time the word high time is found is in Romans chapter 13, verse 11. And the Bible tells us this, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than we believe. Can I tell you what time it is in our world today? It's high time. It's time for us to wake up out of our sleep. Now, guys, let me go ahead and tell you, just like in the Apostle Paul's life, you're going to have it in your life. There's going to be people who deny it. You're going to witness. I have people that I share the gospel with on a weekly basis. I've done so for the last nine years. And I still get this, nothing. And you say, well, preacher, why don't you stop? Why should I stop? They didn't stop with me. Guys, you, you guys know the 50-something-year-old BJ. You don't know the 19-year-old BJ. Very few people who had any kind of sense, common sense, would have done what Travis Delaney did for me. I can promise you that. He hounded me and hounded me and hounded me for three and four weeks about going to see his preacher, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Me at 19 years old, you didn't pester me with anything. I had a very, very short tolerance for, for anything for that matter. But the boldness of Travis, the willingness, the reckless abandonment of Travis finally enabled me to give in one day. I said, okay, fine, I'll go see your preacher. Good night. And you know what, you know what I thought? Rachel, you know what I thought? It was about 85 degrees Fahrenheit in southwest Florida, Christmas time. Okay, I was in a sleeveless shirt. I was a bit, uh, 265 pounds, three, six foot three something at that time. I figured this is a Baptist preacher. I was raised assembly of God. I didn't know Jack from nothing. I mean, I knew nothing, okay? I knew there was an Adam, all right? And that's about it. I'll go and I'll intimidate this guy. That's what I'll do, Stu. 
I'll, I'll, I'll shut Travis up without hurting him. I'll go see this guy. He's going to look at me. He's going to want nothing to do with me. Because you know what? That's how I felt. I didn't feel like anybody on earth wanted anything to do with me when it came to something like that. Not the rough, tough guy. Not the, not the linebacker, the defensive end. The guy. No, not him. You want to have a good time and have some protection and have a bodyguard? Yeah, they want you around. But not what had anything to do with compassion or love. Sat down with that preacher that day, and you guys have heard the story. I won't belabor it. The old preacher was an NRA instructor. I don't care what your position is on guns. I don't come to me after church and say, well, I don't care less. All I know is God put the right person in my life at the right time because I had enough street smarts to understand that guy's got a gun behind his desk. I ain't intimidating anybody. <laughs> I sat down like a school child in the principal's office like this, a dog with his tail tucked between his legs. And bless God, on the 31st of December, 1990, I got saved. I got saved because someone was stirred up for my soul, was stirred up for me, not what I could do for them, but to save me from myself and my sin. So people are going to deny you when you come to them over and over. Paul says in verse 32, Luke says here, he says, and when they heard the, of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked and others said, hey, we'll hear him again of this matter. Some mocked, the Bible says. They're going to mock you out. Get used to it. Get you, they're going to mock you out. They are. Jude 17 says, But beloved, remember you the words which were spoken before the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time uh, who should walk after their own ungodliness. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. There are going to be those at work, they're going to be at school, the community, the store, your family. They're going to mock you out because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we find the greatest truth was given unto them. And they mocked it out. Why? Why did they mock it out? Because they heard of the resurrection of the dead. I mean, friend, their faith was so weak that they could not see. Uh, they couldn't see it. They couldn't touch it. They couldn't make it with their own hands. So therefore, they denied it. And how important it is to believe in the resurrection? You can't be saved without believing in that. For that's the power unto salvation. There's going to be those in your life who defer. They're just going to put it off. Like I said, I'll hear you again. Next part of verse 32 says, And when they heard of the resurrection of this, some mocked. And others said, Hey, we'll hear thee again of this matter. We'll hear you again. Well, these are they guys. They enjoy talking about something. They enjoy the challenge. They enjoy what they're hearing, guys. And, and, and you're, you're going to have people that ask you questions like, you know, Hey, did Adam have a belly button? I don't know. And I don't care. Where did Cain get his wife? Could care less where he got his wife. I don't know. You know, they're going to ask these things. Do you believe in aliens? No, I don't believe in aliens. Amen? Good night, man. Were there dinosaurs in the Bible? Well, yeah, good night. Read the Bible. You'll find out. But they're going to defer. You ever stopped and thought about, put a figure to the cost of the phrase, hey, just wait a minute. Now, we say, uh, we, we say I'll be there in a minute. That's 10 minutes, right? You know? Um, <laughs> we know what it is. Uh, Nisi said the other day, she said, I, had, I, I was calling her down for something, and she says, give me a second. I, I knew that what that means is two seconds go by, she's going to forget that I asked her to come down. She ain't coming down, so I went and did it myself, right? And, uh, 
But it, when somebody says, just wait one minute, all right, they defer, wait one minute. Think about this. Put it to, put it to a mathematical, put it to a cost in your life, okay? If you're making 5,000 pounds a year, every minute you have or every minute you wait costs you 5P. If you earn 10,000 a year, that figure doubles to 10P. And if you make 100,000 a year, your minutes are worth one pound, okay? Now, I'm saying all that to make this point here. For every minute a soul waits on receiving Christ as the Lord and Savior, it's going to cost more than 510 or P or one pound. It could cost them an eternity. That's what we need to think about. When they put defer and they put us off and they say, hang on just a second. If you'll get stirred in your spirit, proclaim the gospel to souls over and over and over, there are going to be some that will finally devote. They'll devote. The Bible says, so Paul departed among them, howbeit certain men clave unto him. I like that word clave. One of the reasons I like it is that that's the commandment that a son is to do unto his wife. He is to leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife. That's his new bride. That's his new family. It's important. So, so, uh, so Paul departed from among them, howbeit certain men clave unto him, and believed, among the which was Dionysus the Eropagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. There are those that believed, or there, these are the ones who believe the preacher, they believe the word of God. They allowed the pricking of the Holy Spirit inside of their heart to move in and to make the greatest change and eternal direction in their entire life. That would ever occur, all because they believe the words that he said. These are they who've come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Better yet, these are the ones who are known of the Lord Jesus Christ. People, there are some people that say that Paul was a failure in Athens. They say, well, he didn't plant a church, he didn't do this. The Bible says that there's others that are saved. The Bible says there's some devout women there, right? They're saying there's a woman named Demarius and Dionysus, the area of Pega. Some got saved. And what do you think they did with that salvation? They took it to others himself. Paul wasn't in Athens very long. They left him off there. He got stirred in the spirit and began to preach the word of God. But what Paul was doing in Athens, he did because he was moved. He was stirred up. He was stirred in his spirit because the whole city was given over to idolatry. The whole city was given over to paganism. The whole city was caught in blindness. The whole city was looking at something that was not going to give them eternal life, following them and leading them into the depths of hell. And guys, we look at a world today which is probably more given over to idolatry than any other time in modern history. Our job is to preach the word of God. Our job is to proclaim the gospel, to propagate the death, burial, and res resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Why? So the world, without understanding and knowledge of him, will come to gain a knowledge of his perfect blood, which cleansed from all sin. You say, preacher, is that my responsibility? If you're here tonight and you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is your responsibility. I know I've gone a tad bit long, but I'm going to say one more little thing, and we're done. Remember the maniac of Gadara? Remember Jesus Christ and his, his, his crew got on the seashore there in Gadara, and those devils jumped up and said, hey, whoa, you come to judge us before the time? That man, had a, that man was well known in the city. 
They knew him as being the naked guy who ran around the cemetery screaming and wailing. They tried to lock him down in chains and fetters. And because of those legions of devils, anywhere from twelve to 36,000 devils possessed him, he would break those chains. No man could tame him. He couldn't get help from anyone whatsoever. Jesus comes out, you know, says, get on out of here, jumping the pigs. They ran off the seashore, right? And they say they found that man dressed and in his right mind. Where was he? At the feet of Jesus. Jesus and the disciples go get on the ship. That boy's going with him. And the Lord says, nope, sorry. Now, you would think if you're trying to build a church, you want them all to stay with you, don't you? No, sir. What the Lord said, you need to go and tell. That guy's been saved for an hour, maybe. He is dressed and in his right mind. He had the worst reputation of everyone in the city. Everyone was afraid of him. And Jesus says, I need you to go tell your family. I need you to go, listen carefully, show and tell of the great things that I've done for you. And the Bible says that he published the word of God throughout Decapolis. You know what Decapolis means? Ten cities. Beit Shin, we preached about, we spoke about Beit Shin this morning from Joshua 17. It's one of those cities. We've been to that city in Israel. Ten cities, that maniac of Gadar, the guy that lived his life around dead people, the guy that had wear no clothes, the guy that was harming himself and cutting himself left and right, the guy that was screaming and hollering all night long, keeping people awake, was now dressed and in his right mind and was going forward telling what great things Jesus Christ has done for him. That's what Paul did in Athens. Because Paul was stirred up as to what the Lord needed to do. He was stirred up when he saw a city wholly given on idolatry. And I want to say this to you, and we're finished tonight. We should be stirred up every single day. When we see our friends, our family members, our co-workers, the people that we know and we're around every single day who know not Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. And you may say, preacher, how do I know? Ask. <laughs> That's all you got to do. Just ask. I tell you what, you can bring the name of Jesus up, watch their reaction. That's one good way you can find out. But I'm just trying to tell you tonight, guys. We need to get stirred up. The enemy can get stirred up. And everybody thinks it's okay. But we as Christians tonight, we need to get some energy behind us. We need to get fired up a little bit. We need to, be, we need to act like a 6 a.m. and we're five coffees in. We need to get stirred up. Just like Paul did in Athens. Will you bow your heads tonight? Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and the time to be here this evening. We pray tonight that you would stir our hearts up for you. That, Lord, you'd put us in the place, in the, in the area, in the path, Father, of those who need the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that we would capitalize on that, that opportunity, Father, that we would be a witness for the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that you, through the Holy Spirit of God, would convict souls that they may come into that saving knowledge and be gloriously and wonderfully born again. Father, we thank you for the evening. We lift up the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we ask all of these things. Amen and amen.